Hello and welcome to the More Confidence with Luna Gaia podcast, where we talk all things body positivity, mental health, body image, shame, self-love. I am your host, Luna Gaia, and at times we have beautiful guests on the show that share their journey from self-hate, perhaps eating disorders, all the way through to how they've come to love themselves and love their body. I cannot be more excited about today's guest. She is the amazing, the incredible Anne Poria. She, having overcome her own eating, food, weight and body image challenges and drawing upon close to four decades of experience, Anne Poria put pen to paper and wrote the book, The Body Joyful, My Journey from Self-Loathing to Self-Acceptance to share her highly personal and life-changing journey. This is going to be a good episode, you guys. I'm so excited. She's the founder of Shaping Perspectives, A Woman's Way to Joy, and the leader of the Body Joyful Revolution community, which is a Facebook group for you to be able to go and be all of you. Oh, beautiful, beautiful work. Yeah, it's an online source of support, encouragement, and inspiration for women of all sizes, shapes, and weights. This group of women are committed to rejecting society's thin ideal, amen, preach to that, and diet culture, so they can feel more comfortable and confident in their bodies and themselves. The mission is to impact our next generation by reducing body shaming, bullying, weight stigmatization, disordered eating, and eating disorders. Oh, we have so much to talk about, Anne. This is great. She is a certified intuitive eating counselor, a body confidence coach, self-talk trainer, which I need to know more about. I'm very excited about this, and an eating disorder specialist. You can find her on her Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash shaping perspectives. I will put all her details on how to get her new book. We're going to talk about all the things. Please welcome to More Confidence with Luna Guy podcast, Anne Poria. Thank you so much, Luna, for that great intro. I appreciate being here and spending some time with you. So thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to sharing and learning as we go, because we're always learning. <laughs> oh, isn't it so true? It's that, it's that element of it is the unraveling of all of the, the shit that we've been told about ourselves to be able to come back to our truth of our of ourselves. Whereabouts are you, Anne? I am in, I'm actually in Virginia at the moment visiting yep. my daughter, but I live in Maine. In Maine. So on, the, on the East Coast of, of the United States. So yes. shout out to all our American listeners as well, everybody mm -hmm. across the world. So wonderful to have you here. Yes. Tell me, I just want to dive straight in. Straight in. I, I want to know, I've got a little bit, you've sent me through some information about you and stuff, but I want to hear it from your mouth. Tell me, tell me about how we've come to be sitting here having this conversation here today. How, how, what was your journey to self-love? Where, where, where did it start? Tell me, tell me all the things. <laughs> tell me all the things. Okay. Well, it started um, because I was adopted, uh, you know, as a infant. So I think that there was, I relate now that I believe there was a little bit of this not good enough or not fitting in or something along those lines that I just kind of always felt mm. and it shifted, you know, I was a chubby little baby. My dad would call me a chubby little baby. It was seen that was, you know, I was boxy. I was sturdy. I didn't really look like the other kids. Mm -hmm. um, I had really short hair. So I just 
never felt quite right. Yeah. My brother was adopted as well, completely opposite body type, looked completely different. Yeah. And so it just this space of um, not sure where I fit in. Yeah. And with with that, um, along kind of the journey of our youth, and like you say, we learn all these things from um, beliefs that we come across mm. just in our journeys. And yeah. a lot of them, I believe, stem when we're young, yeah. you know, from just words and phrases and people we meet and looks we get and the way our parents look at themselves or if they're weighing themselves or what all of, all of those things feed into our own brains. And so with the, with the book, I start the whole book with this concept called seeds, you know, the seeds that we are planting of our beliefs, our belief systems that are kind of instilled in us from really a young age. Yeah. And I have these events that I can recall, um, 10, 11, 12 Mm. of, of feeling in the wrong body size. Yeah too fat, right. For, Mm -hmm. um, my body, it didn't look right. My brother had a nickname for me. Um, the doctor said, you know, to my mom, you better watch what she's eating because, and then, you know, there was a diet culture started when you were 10. Yes, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And I'm not alone. 10 is what I hear from clients is 10 is the 10 and 11 are the ages that, um, so many, young yeah. people start dieting and well because it, it's also it, when puberty hits right it's that sense of like well you know pre-pubescent my puberty hit when I was about nine so you know like like the body started changing significantly at that point in time and you know that that then causes that level of anxiety for people particularly as you say with the parents if their seeds if they've been planting seeds within you um because of their own insecurities that big is bad or that you know you growing into a certain size like as you go through that transition then then now the pressure on a 10 or 11 or 12 year old to have to diet is utterly absurd because it's like they're growing you're like you're literally growing at that point in time correct yeah and and it is and it's it just breaks my heart Mm. right because it's still going on today it is and you know we we have to try to break this cycle. Um, unfortunately I was stuck in the cycle for way too long, you know, 40 years plus of just the same thing. Um, always trying to look a different way and foods being good and bad and diet culture, just grabbing hold Mm -hmm. society's thin ideal, grabbing hold and not being able to shake it loose. So, um, that's kind of my, and I did have an eating disorder at age 12. And this was back in the seventies when, you know, it was just not, it was unheard of at the time. No one knew what was going on with me. It was just bizarre thing that was happening. And now. Yeah. 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 And it it, it is, I mean, it's beautiful how much the world has changed in terms of, in terms of having more awareness around that, you know, you've got, you've got more awareness around eating disorders and, and whatnot yet, yet the, the, like there's a counterculture of against diet, a diet culture, yet the world still tells us that being in a bigger body is bad being, well, actually not even in a bigger body. If you put on any weight, you know, I've watched people throughout this whole pandemic over the last 18 months, freaking out about putting on weight when we've been in lockdown, particularly in Australia, there's quite heavy lockdowns for the whole time. And 
you know, people have put on a lot of weight, well, put on some weight. I don't know how much, but they're like, oh my God, I've put on weight. It's like, you know what? You're going through a mass trauma right now. Maybe it's okay. <laughs> like maybe the five kilos, you know, whatever that pounds is for you. It doesn't like, why is that the worst thing that's ever happened? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That mentality yeah. is still the same, that putting on weight equals bad. Yes. Right. And yeah. losing weight equals good. And losing weight equals good. Irrelevant of the mental health, emotional health, spiritual health impacts on that. Exactly. Or even and the physical health, really, because when you had an eating disorder, you weren't healthy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I think that, that the way that society treats people is has much more damage to a person's uh, self-confidence mm. and self-acceptance than anything right? It's that whole, it's, we're stuck in this spiral yeah. that we can't really seem to get out of. Um, and yeah, of that's course. That's why we're doing the work that we're doing. 100%, <laughs> right? To be able to help people get out of that. Yeah. That, exactly. And to show that there's another way. You don't actually have to prescribe to society's thin ideal, as you say it. And I love that term, by the way, I'm totally stealing it. Um, And thank you. The thin ideal there, I, I think that that that's is so toxic because you know similar the same you know I it, it wasn't until my early 30s that I stopped trying to lose weight I started trying to lose weight by the and I was probably 16 the first time that I tried to lose weight which is older um, but I was well aware that I was too fat from the time I was a child um, mm. and spent my whole life moving towards that so so for you and you know you're, you're 12 you know, you, you've had this life where you've never really felt right in your body. You've always felt, you know, too big, too fat, too something. You've always felt like just odd within your body. You're now 12. You're staring down the barrel of, a, of an eating disorder. How then, how, how does your family, how does your world um, take the news, so to speak? How was how your world at that point as a 12-year-old probably going into what we would call high school? Right. I was in junior high. I don't really remember much of any of it. Right. Because right. I was, all I was doing was counting, counting and calculating and doing sit-ups and right. All the, all, I was doing all the things. Um, and it wasn't until there was a drastic kind of loss in weight. And I remember um, distinctly standing, my mother making me stand in front of the mirror, you know, with just underwear on yeah. at 12. And, and what do you see? And I just, you know, completely with an anorexic brain, malnourished, I still saw fat, Yeah. right? And she saw uh, me withering away to nothing. Yeah. And so she was frightened. I didn't care. I was humiliated, you know, and, and frustrated and just leave me alone, you know, very isolating. Uh, and they, my mom was, I, I credit her for really, pulling me out because she just started to research. She found out what was going on. She reached out to a doctor. I remember the doctor's name. I remember the smell of his house. I remember all of those things, you know, and he got me well enough to head back to school. I, you know, I did end up in the hospital for a little while and, um, but well enough to get back, you know, into kind of a, a life of normalcy mm. um, for high school you know, basically towards the end of ninth grade. Yeah. And um, I just transferred my obsession with 
with my body towards something else. Mm -hmm. So I, I pushed it towards sport and that's, that's where I went and that's what I did and mm -hmm. figured, well, I have to, I have to be in a smaller body if I'm playing a sport, if yeah. I'm doing exercise, if I'm a fitness person. Yeah. Then, right. So I went to college for fitness. Yeah. And it just fed my disorder for a really long Yeah. Time. And, and what I'm really noticing here, Anne, is around the identity that's attached to it. You know, mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you just said around if I'm a sports person, then I'm like thin. There's a, well, I, ha I have to put that energy somewhere because, because although you were well enough to, you know, eat again effectively and go back into society, um, you weren't, you, you weren't cured, so to speak, you know, you, you had, you had re it had been redirected into another obsession, um, arguably maybe a little bit healthier in terms of it's not killing you directly as the anorexia was, but there was still the identity, wasn't there? There was still the identity that you had to be small. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And How long did it take you to move away from that? How long did it take you to move away from, I need to be thin? Even if you, you may not, you still might not be away from that. Um, and I'm, and I'm, I'm well aware that it's a journey. So, you know, how long did it take for it to the scales to tip, pardon the pun, um, <laughs> into the into the realm of I don't have to be thin all the time? When did the identity shift? How long did that take? Oh, I'll tell you, it really, it really was only in the past six years. Oh. So I spent my whole 30, 30 plus years in the fitness industry, which is that which is as a whole here in the United States as it is. Yeah. You know, always trying to, you, you had to look a certain way, you know, worried about what, what I was wearing, um, how I was perceived yeah. um, as a fitness instructor, all of those, all of those things it was part of my job to look a certain way. That was what I thought it yeah. isn't, has nothing to do with it, but that's the way I felt. Yeah. And it really wasn't until my body started to break down on, on me physically, as well as emotionally mm. that I just was. I remember sitting at a beach journaling about the same stuff oh again, Oh, again. Right. And enough. Yeah. Enough, enough. Right. It's, I just can't do this anymore. There's wow. got to be a better way. There's got to be. I'm covered in goosebumps right now. I'm like the, the, the story that you're sharing. I know that for myself and for, many of many of our listeners here that how many like how many journals how much how many hours days weeks months decades have been spent tormented over over a fat roll or over the perception over the the obsession with how do I look and not and it's not just how do I, it's you know, it takes away from how do I feel? Am, am, am I happy? Am I contributing in the world as I want to? Like, it's such a violent distraction from the gift that we have inside of us. We, we are all beautifully gifted individuals in our own right in some way, and yet we're so distracted. And, and you telling that story, sitting there journaling about it again, you're journaling about it again. I, I'm, I'm with you. I can't tell you how many times I sat there tormented over the same freaking issue that I'd had for so Forever. many years. And it seems like, yeah. And it's like you kind of almost needed to get to 
it's different for everybody. I, I'd love to know. <laughs> I'd love for you to be able to say, how did you know it was time? And I think I will ask you that question, but I also recognize that it's only time for you. Everybody mm-hmm. has to come to that conclusion of enough is enough on right. their own. How, how did you know that that time was like when, like, how did you know that you were done with the bullshit? Well, there was, there was one other event that kind of put the icing on the cake for me. And it was, um, I've, I had a knee injury mm-hmm. in college. And so um, my knee was painful and I was beating it up physically, right? as an exercise instructor. And then also on my own because I was obsessive. Um, and I went to have it actually fixed so I could continue to beat down on it. And when the doctor, when I got out of the surgery, he said, well, you know, it was too bad. I couldn't, I couldn't do the surgery for you. And so I knew at that point I would have to have a knee replacement. And it just, I, I kind of, I, I don't really know exactly what hit me, but there's something, something's going to give here. Mm. And then, you know, I go home, I kind of get wrapped up in my own stuff again, because I don't want to feel. So no. I'm numbing out with all the things that I numb out with anyways. Yep. Right. I've been doing since you were like 10, arguably, probably even, even earlier than that, let's face it. But from 10, we'll call it 10. Yeah, at least. Right. Three decades then, or so. Um, one day I was sitting, you know, it was just sitting on this little, little pocket of beach and writing. And I don't know really what hit me, but I picked up the phone and I dialed a therapist. I looked, I looked up addiction therapists, therapists. I picked up the phone and I dialed one. Um, no answer. There was one other one there. I dialed the phone. I left a message within an hour. I got a call back. And um, that was really where my journey started. To, mm. to start to heal myself. Wow. And then I just turned this whole different direction and my whole life has turned towards, you know, how, how can I be part of the solution, not oh. part of the problem, right? And I've been part of the problem for so, so long and fit. Which you might need to approve. Um, I don't know, but yes. Yes. So being part of the problem was part of my job, right? Mm. As, as a fitness professional, that's what we were taught. You know, I, I only linked exercise with weight and body shape. Yeah. That was, that was where the link was. It wasn't um, for health. It wasn't to feel better. It wasn't for mobility. Right. Yeah, or for the joy of, of movement in our bodies that are designed to move, right? Like, it, or strength building, even like to just build your bones as well. Density, like, you know, for women, particularly, strength training is really useful because it builds our bone density. <laughs> right. And just strengthen overall, right? You know, to be able to do the things we want to be able to do, to get down yeah. on the floor and get up, get up and clean the house and pick up a child or all of the things that do the that groceries. Yeah. Yeah. Carry groceries. Right. Exactly. So, uh, and that, and that's where I had to really disconnect, you know, when you talk about identity, I really had to disconnect myself from this fitness identity. Yeah. So easy. Now, as I look back, I can see the stream of things that I just jumped into to feel worthy. Yes. To feel, you know, good enough. Right. 
to feel accepted. And it just, it stayed with me for a really long time until- yeah. I, I love that you're talking into this, Anne, and, and from someone who's been in the industry for a long time. You know, I've never worked in the fitness industry. It's never been something that's my... I, I love that you're talking about this because it wasn't too long ago I had someone on Instagram. I get haters. I'm a, I'm a you know, relatively plus-size content creator talking about loving yourself. You know, like I'm open to getting some uh, shit thrown at me. Um, not that I approve of it, uh, but, you know, it, it happens. It happens. So, you know, for, for me, I remember it wasn't too long ago, someone sent me through a message and they were clearly a gym person, right? They worked for one of the major chains here and I could see that on their profile. Um, and they're basically yelling at me saying, you're promoting obesity, um, you're not healthy. And, you know, my response back to that person is, you don't know me. You don't actually know my health status. You, you see me as fat and and make a presumption about my health. And, and you know, like I, I, I've worked, I, I work differently on how I approach haters as well and trolls and whatnot. Um, and I just shared with him some of the, some of the latest data that's come out, of, um, come out of Denmark. I think it's Denmark, Copenhagen. Yeah, around, around that health, uh, the, actually they've discovered that the BMI scale was a scale over, like it was a study over 40 years. So over a long period of time um, and, and lots of different people, 100,000 people that they studied, that the normal range of BMI um, has, the, has the shortest lifespan. If you're in the normal range, you have the shortest lifespan. Um, those, in, um, those in the overweight category um, have the longest lifespan and, and those in the obese have the same as the normal, like that it's the same thing. And I shared that with him and he's like, oh, yeah, right. And I, I know that I'm not gonna. I'm. Not, I know that I'm not gonna win. I just really recognise that he's like. I help people change their life. I'm like, I, and I and I said to him in the thing. I'm like, I really hope that you can find a way to see it differently, so that you don't encourage eating disorders in your clients. Because yeah. I'm with you, and I, I've been to countless gyms in my life. Not a fitness instructor, but I've spent lots of time in gyms where the focus is on me getting thin. Um, right. Even at a strength and training, a strength and conditioning gym that I used to go to, we still weighed in every week. And I'm like, mm. I don't care. Like it got to the point for me, I was like, I don't care how much I weigh. It doesn't make a difference to me. I want to feel good. I want to feel strong. I want to feel fit and healthy. Why? And I, and I eventually said to them, I'm not doing it. Like if, you, if it's part of the deal of me coming to this gym, I'm, they're like, oh, it's good to know. I'm like, Why? Why is it good to know what my my number relation to the to the gravity on Earth? How is that? Because I said to him, I said, but it, because if it if it goes up, I hate myself. If it stays the same, I hate myself. If it goes down, then I'm freaking out that it needs to stay that way. So right. there's it's such an ominous culture. I'm I'm totally with you. I think throughout the whole world, there's this that this ideal moving towards that. I'm curious, you've obviously changed, changed, you know, your ideals around. How long were you still in the fitness industry or, or are you still now whereby you had different viewpoints? Because that must have been pretty challenging to face right. the beast, hey, right? Yeah. You know, like you're standing up to the biggest bully of all and right. partially you at the same time. How was that? <laughs> well, to be honest, 
I transitioned out prior to actually the full, my full kind of recovery on it. Yeah. So um, I think I was just going to say, because I, I really want to hit this point home, like you were, what you were sharing about your, your hater. Um, we all know people in small bodies who are healthy and who are unhealthy. Yes. We all know people in large bodies who are healthy and unhealthy. Yeah. It's all on, on our own, our own behaviors and how, you know, how we roll into, um, what's healthy for us. Yeah. You know, my book has a chapter, define your own health. Nice. Because right? that's, you get to choose what's healthy for you. Yeah. You get to choose what, what um, behaviors work for you. And holistically too, Anne, like your, your, your mental health. Like for me, I was, I, I was physically healthier if I was skinnier um, or strength and conditioning training, but I, I was training 20, like, you know, like 18 hours a week, exhausting myself. Um, and I hated myself. So how is that healthy? That wasn't healthy for me. And I think the extension of that as well is that is that to presume that that it's a very ableist viewpoint that health is, you know, like for a lot of people, you they won't ever be healthy because they have diseases, conditions. I'm a type one diabetic. According to the definition of health, I will never be healthy. I have a life-threatening disease that will forever haunt me. Um, mm. Yeah, sorry, car- carry on. I, I loved where you were going. No, it, I just think it's, I think it's really important for us to understand that, that health is how we want to live. You know, what yeah. is a lifestyle that I want to live for mm. the next 20, 30 years, right? Going to the gym two hours a day for the rest of my life. No, thanks. Yeah. I choose not to do that. Will I move my body? Absolutely. I'll move it in ways that I enjoy and that I like, and that are completely untraditional now. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's how do I want to progress with my food, with mm-hmm. my movement, with my self-care, with the way I speak to myself? How is all of that going to play into this too, right? So it's, I, you and I get to choose our way of looking at mm. how we live our lives. And it's really nobody else's <laughs> business, right? I love it. I cannot love this enough. Because it depends on what kind of life you want, right? Exactly. For people who love spending two hours a day in the gym and they get a kick out of it and that's where all their friends and family are and, and, and it's part of their culture and their life because they love it and it makes them happy. All the power to you. If being on a specific, you know, I don't know if counting calories is ever great, um, but if if you are, you know really want to keep your food really lean, really um, monitored, and that works for you, then again, all the power to you. It doesn't work for me. It, no. it hurts me severely, like severely, it hurts me. And I, it's the same with you. Obviously, it hurt you for a really long time, right? And I think that's the, that's the case that we don't know anybody's story. So how can we tell anybody that this is the right way or this is the right way, yeah. you know, to, to live their life? Um, because certain things are going to, you know, I hate the word trigger, but we're going to get triggered with certain um, words or uh, plans that come across our path or bodies that come across our path. Like we have to be able to navigate all of that for ourselves. Um, and that's mm-hmm. my therapist taught me this great 
um, analogy, and I call it the sandbox theory, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I have my sandbox, and these are the things that that are mine, mm -hmm. and then other people have their sandboxes that are, that are theirs. Yeah. And so if somebody jumps into my sandbox and tells me how to eat or how I what I should be doing mm -hmm. or shouldn't be doing, mm -hmm. you know, I just can say that's that's not your sandbox. It's mine. Oh, and you know, it's you, you know, I'll invite you in if I want your help. Yes. I'm right here and um, I'm good. Not, yes. Not part of what I need to deal with. How, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the fact that, you know, we still very much, you know, I, I don't need to spend long on Instagram or social media, even though I've curated it pretty bloody well. Um, I still don't have to spend long on any of those platforms to see a body that, you know, is promoting something that I, I'm not necessarily okay with, or um, not that their body's not okay, but, you know, it's promoting the diet or promoting the, the weight loss. Um, how, and, and, the, and the talk that comes from that, you know, you're, you're a self-talk, what coach, is that the word that we used here? Self-talk trainer. I love it. Can you tell me more about how did you and how do you, because I'm sure it's continue, it's an ongoing thing, right? It's not like, it's not like one day you get it and then everything's peaches and roses, right? What, how do you deal with the haters externally in terms of the world that tells you that you need to be worried about this kind of stuff? Um, people jumping in your sandbox, so to speak. And how do you deal with that internalized chatter as well? Right. I think the internal, it's all in the internal piece, right? Self-compassion. And really, um, I call it, I call it stepping into the weeds because we've, we've made these pathways for so long, you know, they're, they're automatic, mm -hmm. you know, before I could see somebody compare myself and off, I would go with negative self-talk and negative and those pathways, boy, were they And then um, I'm here now. Thank you everybody for your patience. <laughs> I love it. So Anne was just saying about the pathways that are really strong. So just start back there again. Your pathways were, um, you know, like they, they turn into super highways, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's it, the only way off is if we step into, you know, kind of that, take that side road, but the side road is uncomfortable. We don't know where we're going. We've never done it before. It's unfamiliar. Well, it's easier to stay on the super highway. It's yeah. more comfortable. And at least that's what we know. Yeah. But if we, if we don't take that turn, we're going to stay there forever, you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road, that same self-talk is going to be kicking in. Yeah. And does it come, you know, it's always going to come back. It's so, it's been, it's wearing thin now and it's smaller. Right. But when I notice Having a few technical difficulties here, as you can see, my friends, this is the nature of recording in the modern age. Sometimes the internet's not working. It is Tuesday. She's in the past and is, uh, <laughs> and is in uh, America. So she's yesterday. Just going to uh, have a little bit of patience while we see if her internet does come back through. I know that you've still got me. What I find really fascinating about what Anne is sharing here is that she, she really talks into these 
pathways and the neural pathways. That's what she's referring to. The, the literally the walkways in our brain, the connectors in our brain. When you first start to learn how to do this for yourself, what it, what it is about is that our brains have a whole network of stuff going on in our heads. There's a whole network. When you're learning how to walk, for example, you fall over lots and lots before your body figures out how to do it. You learn balance and, and you figure it out from there. It's the same with all of our belief systems. So when we have a neural pathway that is new, that we haven't really done very often, then what ends up happening is that we just the neural pathway that Anne was referring to is that is that it, it whatever you walk many many times over becomes familiar so what Anne's referring to is that if if you back in the day had a belief where you weren't good enough and then you walked on that path again and again and again it turns into a super highway and in order for you to break that you need to get, leave the comfort of the super highway take the exit and then go into the complete unknown. You're literally walking into a field. Like it's not like there's a road that you get to take off. There's not a road where it's like, okay, I'm going to go down this. Very often in the very beginning of this, it's like, oh, my gosh, like I'm taking the exit where there's freaking nothing. There's no, there's no rest stops. There's no toilets. There's no, there's no path. But the important thing to remember is that, there was no path in the first place for your destructive beliefs. And the only way that the superhighway was built was by, was by repetition, was by rewiring the brain um, to do different things. So I'm so curious, Anne, you know, how for you and with your clients and the work that you do, how would you show someone how to, you know, how to, how to rewire themselves over time. Like I appreciate that it's not a, uh, it's not a <laughs> instant thing. How, mm -hmm. how do you help people to learn how to do that? I have a couple of different ways, but I think the first thing is to um, notice, notice when the, the talk comes up, yeah. right? Are you able to actually just notice and go, Oh, there it is again. Mm. Sometimes I have them ask, who's that talking, right? Nice. Who's talking? Who is that? You know, is that your dad? Is that, you know, is that some uh, friend of yours? Is that a teacher or a coach or? Yeah. Is, that, is that the magazine that you read? Is that the TV show or whatever it is? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And once that you can notice that, you know, it's that, it's that pause. Um, I, I always t refer to that Viktor Frankl uh, quote with, you know, between a, a stimulus and a response, there's a space. And in that space, if we can catch it, we can actually take a breath and, and go, oh, here I go again. Yeah. This is what I, this is what I'm, what I always tend to do, or just talk yourself through it. It shifts the focus from the negative train, right? So you're not actually going on the super highway. You might not even be taking the exit. You might be staying still, yeah. but that's, that's progress. It's our first step is just to yeah. let's be aware of it. Right. It's, it's to stall it. If we continue with that analogy, if you're driving on the super highway, it's it's like your car stalls, and mm -hmm. you can't keep going down that path, even if it's just for a fraction of a second. That's that that is enough in the beginning to to stop that flow, that like constant heavy, you know, hundred kilometers an hour traffic that's going bananas, firing down there without you even thinking about it. I'm with you. I, I, I 100% would, if someone says to me, what's the very first thing that I need to do to start loving myself? 
And I'm like, you need to be aware of what's happening in your head. It's, it's just, I'm with you. It's the first step. It's from, you know, for me, it's from a neuro-linguistic programming perspective. I think, did you say somewhere that you're an NLP practitioner or that you are familiar with NLP or? I am familiar with it. Yes. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. You know, if we can, if we can, we have to start to repeat because the only way we can change is if we, re- we replace with something else. Right. Yeah. And it's not that they're going to go away and it's not that they're never going to be there. They yeah. will be. And I, you know, I'm just much more compassionate with them. Nice. I, uh, you know, I see you, I hear you. Thanks for sharing. Oh. And then just, you know, let's, let's move on. I, I choose not to, I choose, right. I choose not to go down that path. Beautiful. And I'm going to stop and I'm going to choose something else. And then to have, um, you know, ammunition for yourself, have phrases, have things that you can, you can direct your attention to and your focus to mm. that you can start to shift the way you see yourself and the way that, you know, how can you shift that, that dialogue for yourself? What does oh. that look like? And gratitude is such an, a, a simple place to start, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I also want to highlight what you, what you just said, because I think it's gold. Um, you know, you, you said it in the sense of you, that's clearly your self-talk, like, thank you for being here. I see you. I hear you. It, it is similarly one of the methods that I use as well. So I'm loving how, how the connectedness here and for everyone listening and watching at home know this. Anne and I have never met before and we're on the other side of the planet and both of us are using very similar methodologies and not from, not from a book that we've read necessarily, even though we're both now authors with amazing books coming out that you can now read, by the way. Anne's comes out on October 5th. Mine comes out October 1st. So our due dates are very close to one another. Um, but I want to highlight here for everyone watching at home that the methods work. You doing these kind of stuff, you know, Anne's come to it from your own your own work, maybe your own therapist. I've come up from a completely different angle. Anne and I haven't discussed this ever before, yet here we are. And I, I know that the, the first step is awareness. And then it's interrupting, but not in a cruel way, because I think that very often what people do, and there's a, a toxic positivity that people tend to do, like, oh, just think yourself positive, like just ignore all the shitty feelings and all the shitty thoughts and you'll be fine. Everything's great. No, it's not. And, mm. and it's, it's okay to me, what I teach my clients is, and very, very similar to you here, and if not identical, is that notice that they're happening and then you be the leader. Like who's mm. talking? Is that, is that me up there in my head? No, there's actually, there's an awareness that is observed that can observe the thoughts And when you can now observe the thoughts, now you're in charge rather than the thoughts being in charge of you. So then I can say, and I I tend to identify it because it might be, hello, self-doubt. I can hear you. I can Mm. see you. Thank you for being here and showing me that that you care. Right Mm -hmm. now I'm choosing, you know, right now I'm choosing something else. I'm choosing to, to have faith. I'm choosing to have courage. I'm choosing something else and do that enough times on repeat. And that little voice learns, oh, okay. I I'm valuable. She, she loves me. I'm important. Um, but we're going in this direction, you know, Mm -hmm. because I always say to people, if you are denying the parts of you that you don't like the shitty self-talk, the emotions that you're uncomfortable with, 
um, then you're denying you. Mm-hmm. It's all part of you. You can't hate. You can't hate yourself happy. Like yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. You yeah. have to love all the parts of you. Yeah, you saying that. Just I had a client um, just the other. Just uh, it was probably about three months ago, um, and I just said, "Can I use that?" She goes, "I just realized. I finally realized I couldn't hate myself then." Nice. I'm like, yep. Yay! You know, that's exactly it. Yes. No one ever hated themselves healthy. No one ever hated themselves into self-love yet, which means that you have to love the parts of you that you don't like. I know. I know. It's part of you, right? Yes. And it's it's the imperfect perfection of all of us. Well, and I love that you say that my book is called Perfectly Imperfect. So Uh, yes, I do love that. (laughs) I want to know more about your book. I absolutely do. I want to know about your online support. I want to know all the stuff. Before I do, before we delve into that, there was something that came up before as you were talking about that moment where you were at the beach and you made the phone calls and you, that was a turning point for you. You recognized mm-hmm. that from that point onwards, you know, your, your focus was in a different direction. Um, and I'm, I'm making a very, what I feel like a very safe assumption here. I also think it's a really important topic that, that we need to cover because a lot of people feel like, cool, you make that decision and everything changes instantly or you go to therapy and within six weeks, one year, you are amazing and you can now write a book, et cetera, et cetera. Tell me about how hard it's been. I, I think that this is really important. I don't want to sugarcoat that all of a sudden everything's amazing. How, how hard has it been for you to come to where you are now, Anne? It really, um, daily practice, um, fall, falling down and standing back up, nice. right? Lots of tears, yeah. lots of journals, <laughs> um, lots of education. You know, yeah. it was during my therapy that I actually said, at, at one point I went back to school and that's where I went back to school and, and got my eating disorder um, graduate certificate. Cert- certificate. And that was doing that particular class opened my eyes up to a whole new world of diet culture and um, all kinds of studies around diets and why they don't work and all kinds of studies back in the 40s you know the starvation experiment back in the 40s and I'm like okay so if it wasn't working then and they have all this research then why are we still doing it now yes why are we still doing it now (laughs) yeah and then I get angry you know so it was this whole little um, slow shift to just myself to a bigger shift of, wait a minute. I, I just, this is, this is not right. Um, Mm. I don't want to have, you know, I had, I have two daughters. I did a lot of things wrong. That doesn't make you feel good. I missed a lot of stuff. Right. And I said, the only way I can make a difference now because they were older is how can I be a better role model? Wow. And I, you know, shift into becoming a better role model. And that's really um, the design of the Body Joyful Revolution is let's, let's create some, a different kind of role model for our next generation. That's where we learn. We learn from our parents. You know, we, we learn diet culture from a lot of, at least a lot of my clients learn diet culture from their parents, learned that bodies are either good or bad, learn that food is either good or bad. Yes. And 
um, how can we change that dialogue, you know, for this, for the next people, the next kids growing up. And I love what you're saying there, Anne, because, uh, you know, likewise, a lot of my clients are parents and, and for some of them, you know, have older kids, you know, people that are either teenagers already, but, and some of them, you know, well grown up adults by, by the point, by the time that they come here and they're like, oh my God, I made so many mistakes. And I'm like, the single best thing that you can do to help your children, no matter their age, is to heal yourself. Yes. And it's, and it's just by proxy then, or like, you know, I, I've said to people, would it ever be too late for your mum to turn around and give you all the acknowledgement that you've ever wanted? Would it ever be too late for that? And the answer is no. If like, no, we still got our little kid inside of us wanting to hear the things that our parents couldn't say to us. And so if if now there's a healing and you turn around to your daughters and say, I was wrong, I mm-hmm. I made mistakes and I didn't know, I, 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 I only taught you what I knew mm-hmm. um, and now I realised that it wasn't the best thing to teach you and now I know otherwise and, and then you live, you're an embodiment of the new belief, that's healing in and of itself. Right. So exactly. I commend you for that. Thank you for bringing that to the attention of yourself, but also for all the other all the listeners that are parents out there freaking out that they've ruined their children. <laughs> right. Right. And to forgive yourself. Right. I mean, I blamed myself. And then there's that that would that would perpetuate into negative self-talk and negative feelings and emotions and, you know, turning back to old behaviors and, and you know, wait a minute, let's let, I can forgive myself. Yeah, And that's, I think that was really one of, um, one of the hardest things to do is to allow myself to forgive myself and write myself a forgiveness letter. And, yeah. you know, those kind of, I had to do a couple, I had to do that a couple of times, right. Write myself yes. those. And, uh, and I wrote a letter to my daughters too, you know, uh, kind of, a these are the things I wish I hadn't done. And, yeah. you know, I apologize. And yet, you know, I didn't like, we don't, we don't know. We only do what we, what we know. Yes. And, and, and you can't, you can't teach what you don't know. That's just the reality. And, and so, but but then once you do know, you can teach differently and that might not be necessarily now going to your adult children and and preaching to them, but it's just by you living differently. Right. They would see, they would be experiencing a very different mum than what they grew up with. Their, their mum that was gym obsessed, you know, um, appearance obsessed and weight obsessed and and now they have a mum that is you know um healing herself and and healing others in the process I think that's such a that's a beautiful thing right right and And we have to be willing to let go of our beliefs in order our Mm -hmm. old beliefs in order to grow yeah 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 and that's and that's exactly um, you know it's a great segue into the book because that's exactly what it is it's about the seeds of belief the beliefs that we get, you know, how they form, like how I tell stories of how I got, you know, how I kind of came across all my beliefs and Mm. then how they got rooted, how they got really deep, how they got, um, how I made decisions around those particular beliefs. And then, you know, the only way we can move out is to, to weed, you know, so it's that whole, like, it's a planting theme, right? So then we have to weed the garden, we have to replant and then we can flourish, but it, it, you got to go through that whole journey right before you can come to yeah, a space you, you're you're in a you're in a complete um wild bushland right you know you, you when you when you first start out 
um, it's chaos in your garden and, and you have to weed and decide what is useful and what is not and, and what is native and what is not perhaps to the land. And then once you've got to that point, and I think that that's what you're saying as well, but then you still have to tend to the garden. You still have to water. You still have to continue to weed. You still have to plant and tend to the to the things. And if you're having a crop, you need to cycle the cycle the the soil. Like there's a, there's a lot that required in the garden. Um, mm-hmm. It's and I don't want to scare people into thinking that you're constantly having to do things twenty four seven. It's a complete full time job and another thing you just have to do in your day. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that there's a real sense of freedom that once you have established your garden, once the garden is kind of, you know, you've done that that groundwork, it's a real fertile place for you to be able to, to flourish, mm-hmm. as you say. And yeah. what's the book called? Tell me, tell me what the book is called. It's called The Body Joyful, My Journey from Self-Loathing to Self-Acceptance. Oh, so, and yes. where can people buy it? They can buy it anywhere. Books are so no, <laughs> it's on pre-order at Amazon or um, Barnes and Noble or Goodreads. So you can get it any of those places. And if you go to my website at Shaping Perspectives, you can buy it there too and get some gifts. Ah, yes, yeah. that's amazing. So gifts. So shapingperspectives.com. All the links will be in the bio, by the way, for those listening at home. Shapingperspectives.com is where you can go so so can can are there links there to amazon barnes and noble etc from there there's a link for the book by the book and um and then i created this online for anybody that pre-orders it. i created an online journal of step backs because the chapters have step backs so you know people can have an online journal to you know answer some of the questions that are in the book and be able to take their own body joyful journey too so. oh it sounds magnificent it's it's such a I, the work is so important. I can't come over how important this work is for, for so many people. I mean, you know, some I remember someone saying to me, it was a branding conversation with some company, and they said, oh, who are your, who are your biggest competitors? And I was just like, if there are other people doing this work, <laughs> then I want them. Like, yes. I mean, I, would I call them my competition? I mean, like, I understand where the, the concept was coming from, but the reality is, is that, is that we need more people doing it. We need more people writing, rewriting the script of society. And so to me, you writing a book, you know, is phenomenal because there's a whole bunch of people that are going to listen to your story specifically and relate to that. And they like you and they like your version of the way you've told it in your story. And likewise for me, or you might get both books, all of the books. Like, oh yeah. Cause it's, you're so, you're so right. Everybody comes at it slightly different, but very similar. Yeah. And it resonates, you know, there are so many people that we, what we want to be able to touch and the more the, oh, the more that's, it takes that, that old term, it takes a village, right? Yeah, and it, it certainly does, and especially when we're up against what we are, it, it oh. takes multitudes of villages. <laughs> we need yeah, and and all over the world, and and everybody, you know, planting their own seeds of the new. You know, yes. we're we're planting new seeds everywhere and watching them grow. I I can't tell you how many people, yeah, like I've been in this industry industry. I've been on this mission for a good probably ten years, and um and working with clients and doing all that jazz, and. I still am amazed because I'm in in such a body positive world. And since I would say in the last three to 
like two to three years with the, with with the coming out of like Lizzo, like with people like Lizzo who are now considered sexy and successful. Like back in the day, and not even that long ago, fat people were ever will only ever the joke, right. and and they were only ever the before picture. That's the yes. that's the world that I grew up in. My body was the before picture, the one that I should hate. Yes. Um, and with people like Lizzo and, and Tess Holiday, and plus size um, supermodel and stuff, and just regular size bodies being shown on media platforms, I, I find myself sometimes forgetting that majority of the world still pushes the thin ideal because I'll mm-hmm. have someone come on, on my TikTok or something and say, oh, my God, I, I needed this. I've, I never knew this existed. And I'm like, like, People, we still don't know it exists. People don't know that that there's an there's an there's an alternative. You don't have to prescribe to the thin ideal. So I I love what you're doing, Anne. I it's just yeah. yes. Back at you. Same Thank thing. You. Same thing. Because that I just am very glad that we connected because there's yeah. there's just strength, right? And. Yeah. Collaborating and, and getting the word out and in different ways and in different voices. And, yep. you know, this is, this is what we hope to do for our, our kids growing up. So true. Right? Change. Mm. Yeah. Make it a different reality for the generations that are coming up. Yeah. I actually, yeah. funnily enough, I had someone, I, I, a video on TikTok I posted yesterday about me going for a walk in a crop top and a pair of shorts. And I, it was very unflattering, right? Unflattering. And, um, yeah, right. And, and I, the, the TikTok was about, it doesn't matter. I'm going for a walk. Like, why do I need to look good to walk outside my house? It's not important. And um, someone posted, someone posted along the lines of, on behalf of Gen X, we don't care. Go for a walk. <laughs> and, and I was like, and they, they said it with love. Like it wasn't to hang shit on me. Yeah. I just loved it because I was like, already we have another generation who's like, cares what right. you look like. It cares if your gender's bended. How, who, like who cares? They're like already starting to, as we, the pioneers, are, are building that world for them, right? Like we are building that framework because, you know, much like I, I've seen a, I've seen a, a, a gay person on, um, on TikTok again say, why do we even need Pride March? We're fine. And the people, like, you know, the older gays come out and say, mate, we had it because, because we, you, you have a good now because we did the work. Right, exactly. We, yeah. We, you know, we paved the way. So it's so important for, for us to continue to pave the way. Right. So yeah. that mothers, so that aunts, so that women all over the world stop handing it on to, <laughs> to our children, right? Because we just pass yeah. it on. Yeah. And restricting themselves and living a life that's not, you know, that's always, their brain is always full of that versus yeah. all the other wonderful things like you had started the conversation that they could be sharing with yes. their grandchildren or with their children versus um, no, hold on. I got to wait. I got to count and calculate and I got to make my dinner special. And, you know, yeah. Oh, all the little. The I'm things. not going out for dinner. I can't have your birthday cake with you um, yeah. because I'm, I share a story in my book about a, a elderly lady that I used to care for. She was in her late nineties and her sister came over for her birthday one day and her sister was, 
it's considerably younger, but like 85, right? So we're, we're still talking pretty, pretty old kind of people. And, um, and the birthday cake came around and she looked at the sister, looked at the 85 year old, looked at it and was like, oh, oh, oh. And she goes, I really shouldn't. I'm watching my waist. And I just, like, if you choose not to have the cake because of whatever reason it, uh, that's from love, like I, I'm a diabetic, I don't eat sugar, so I wouldn't eat the cake either, right? But that's from an act of self-love. If you're coming from that because you're 85 and still worried about your frigging waistline, eat the damn cake. You're going to die. <laughs> like, I just... I, I know, I know, I know. Eat the damn cake. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh, uh, and so tell me, you've got your book, The Body Joyful. Um hang on, the body joyful. Yeah, my journey from self-loathing to self-acceptance. There's that. Where mm-hmm. else can people get access to you? So you've got Shade Me Perspectives, and there's the obviously the online journal for the people who are pre-ordering um your book, which is friggin' exciting. It's in six weeks' time, everybody, just over six weeks' time, just to freak mm-hmm. out a little bit. Six and a half, seven-ish weeks. Um what else? How else can we access you? I know you have a Facebook page, but but where else can we come to not only support you, but get support from you? Yeah, the the Body Joyful Revolution is a private Facebook community, and uh, that's a, a growing community. I'm very excited about it. And it's all about, you know, women feeling comfortable and confident in their bodies as they are, regardless of size, weight, and shape, so that they can, you know, step into this <sighs> new role model and be themselves and live with joy and happiness and all of those good things that, you know, we, we all deserve. It's like, you know, you have permission to enjoy life. Right. And what does that look like for you? So it's just changing the conversation there. There's lots of great free resources and tools and we have conversations. And so um, I'd love for people to join us over there. So that's wonderful. So that's a free community on Facebook that people can go hang out with you and get access to your stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So that um, I'll I pop it in the thing, but it's a group. If you just if you just search body joy, body joyful revolution, you'll be able to find it on Facebook. But I'll pop the links below for everybody who wants to get in on board with that. And I highly recommend that you do. I think it's great. In terms of working with you, you're a certified inter, you know intuitive eating counselor and confidence coach and. Um, self-talk trainer and eating disorder specialist and you talked about having clients do you are you open are your books open can people work with you if they feel so inclined to absolutely absolutely if um, people would like to you know I always in the body joyful revolution I always kind of offer up a few slots every week to have some get to know you conversations because I like to get to know people and then you know we can talk about if you need some more in-depth work or want to do some some deeper dive work then we can certainly talk about that too. So yeah. beautiful. So yeah. So you directly offer offer sessions with people whereby you help them recover from eating disorders. You might help them recover from um, food obsession, from disordered eating, yes. uh, body dysmorphia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And being that you are in in the states, and a lot of my audience potentially is. Um, all over the world, but you know, I am Australian, so I have a lot of Australian listeners out there. Shout out to everybody! Um, can that can we work with you if we're international as well? Like, do you do it on Zoom, the phone, or is it face to face? How does it work? Yep, Zoom, pretty much. You know, everything now on on Zoom, face to face, and for yeah. people who are are more comfortable on the phone, 
we can do it that way too. So yeah, ah. but most everything is virtual these days. Yeah. So that's, that's, and I even had a virtual retreat this past year, which I was, it was supposed to be in person and it went, it went over brilliantly. So I was very, very happy that with the turnout and, you know, how it went virtually for a retreat. So, yeah. Okay. So you, you run the retreat, do you? Mm -hmm. Yes. Tell me more about that. What's the, what's the retreat? Do you run them regularly? Can people come to them? Well, I have a live one that I was, we were planning in November, but right now we're not sure what, what's happening here in the States either. So, um, I, I probably will do another virtual. It wasn't, it was a success. So I hadn't really thought about it. So, um, but I have a live one supposedly, you know, after the whole book was going to be part of that for the fifth through the seventh. So it might, it might run, but I think it might be virtual too. So So a weekend retreat where people can really deep dive with you into into all of this stuff. Yes. That's a deep dive. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. is brilliant. I I highly recommend that more information at shapingperspectives.com. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, love yep. it. So go find out the, the Body Joyful is Anne's de- debut book. Is it your first? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, how exciting. The Body Joyful is out on October 5th. So go check out Shaping Perspectives or Barnes & Noble or Amazon, wherever it is, if you want to th- include in the in the beautiful community that she has, the Body Joyful Revolution. Um, go check her out on Facebook. And then, of course, if you want to go to retreats or have any kind of one-on-one work with Anne, then please go check her out. She's doing amazing stuff for the world. And I'm just out of curiosity, do you do uh, children? Like do you work with young young people as well or is it just adults in terms of your one-on-one stuff? Um, the youngest I have worked with is 18. Okay. Um, so because uh, be under that, it's usually parental. So it depends on, it depends on where people are too. Yeah. You know, for, um, cause I don't work directly with eating disorder, like, uh, anorexia nervosa because their brains aren't quite there, but yeah. in recovery from that, then yeah. that's where I kind of step in. Right. Beautiful. So once, once they've, their brain is back to, you know, receiving food and nice. Um, so okay. Yeah. That's great. Tonight. And then the healing from yeah. that point. So, you know, the, the, the trauma of the eating disorder, once that's kind of loosened its grip a bit, then you can come yes. in and deal with the, the body dysmorphia, the body image, the comfort, all that. Oh, and I tell you what, it has been such a pleasure talking to you. Is there anything else that, that, that our listeners need to hear anything that we haven't touched on today? I think that you and I could talk for about 12 hours. So if you ever want me on your, uh, if you ever want me on your page, let me know um, so that we could have more conversations. Is yes. there anything else that needs to be said before we finish up today's conversation? Well, I'd just like to thank you and your listeners, you know, for, for spending the time with us, especially, yeah. you know, cause it, it, time is precious, right. And to spend the time listening and learning and growing and mm. hearing different alternatives and you for your work, wonderful work. So a great big thank you to all to all. That's basically how I like to finish out. Thank you for joining us for another episode of More Confidence with Luna Gaia, where we talk all things body love, body positivity, self-love, mental health, how to reconnect with yourself and stop all that crazy negative self-talk that goes in your head. As you may or may not know, my debut book, Perfectly Imperfect, Your Complete Guide to Loving Yourself and Loving Your Body, is coming out on October 1st, 2021. I am so excited to share it with you. If you haven't already, you can pre-order your copy 
very soon I will post information about that on all my socials, etc., as well as in the link in the bio. The other thing is that you can go join the VIP group. So that is a group, a list where you can get access to previews. I'm recording the, the audio book at the same time as well with my microphone here. So if you would like to get little sneak peeks around that giveaways, and of course, be the first ones to know about when it's released, about coming to my party, my online launch party, I would love to have you there. So again, just follow the links in the bio and yeah, I'll see you really soon.